The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hi, everybody. It's Kathleen from the AI Today podcast. I recently moderated a panel at the AI Expo in Santa Clara, California in November 2018. The panel was on driving digital transformation through AI and deep learning. The following is a recording of that panel. Please take a listen, and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so we're really excited for this next panel, driving digital transformation through AI and deep learning. So I'm your moderator, Kathleen Walsh. I'm a principal analyst with Cognolytica, and I also write for Forbes, Tech Target, Cognitive World, CTO Vision, and I'm the co-host of the very popular AI Today podcast with Ron. And I'll give my panel a minute um, to settle in. We have Dr. Val Matula, Robert Bogutsky, Brett Marsh, and Ayumi Sawada. So I will let them all introduce themselves. All right, so hello. My name is Val Matula. I'm with Avaya. Check, check. We provide call center platforms, UC platforms, as well as the surrounding systems for analytics, AI, and integration with enterprise uh, IT. Um, hi, I'm Robert Bogutsky from DeepSense AI. I'm uh, the CTO and co-founder there. And basically what we do, we are uh, AI experts for hire. So we develop various machine learning models in computer vision, NLP, and customer analytics. Uh, but what's most important for me is that we try to kind of uh, close the gap between what's possible, what's, what has been developed in research, and what is actually being used uh, in industry and, and business. Because you know, if you observe what, what uh, has been made possible, even last year uh, we could see things like mastering the game of chess in four hours, and at the same time, if I talk to some of my clients, I, uh, I would discover that they have problems to automate simple tasks like closing or opening an account. So yeah, step by step, we are, we are going there. Hi, everyone. Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, my name is Ayumi Sawada. Um, I work for Optim and uh, as a vice president of marketing and technologies. And uh, our, uh, you know, the, first of all, so uh, I've been working in a practical world, not in academic. <laughs> so, uh, and this is a mainframe base and uh, to provide for that end users for IT solutions and uh, ended up, uh, you know, AI, IoT world. And the, uh, our company specialized for that uh, unified platform uh, to uh, enable for that any industries for uh, transforming uh, the fourth industry uh, revolution. So I'm uh, looking forward to uh, talking to, with you guys and to have a, a great conversation today. Great. Well, now that we know our panel, I'd like to get it started. So what are the fundamental building blocks needed for building a digital organization using AI and ML in terms of people, skills, and technology? Okay, so l let me start. 
So uh, from my point of view, it's important to have a marriage of two different competences. Uh, one would be to focus on, on the business competences and actually the domain knowledge that, that you need to have uh, in order to identify the right use cases to tackle. But at the same time, you still need the technical knowledge that is uh, very important in order to assess what is possible, assess what use cases are likely to be um, sensible given the data that you have, given what is possible in terms of machine learning and, and deep learning developments. And by uh, technical competences, I mean not only being able to build those models, but the, the story doesn't really either be, neither begin or end here. You actually need to start earlier with collecting the right data, with uh, having the right software engineering skills to, to plug in all those data pipelines into your systems, but also have uh, things like DevOps skills in order to bring those models in, into the production and then uh, be able to, to maintain everything. So it's really you know, qu quite complicated and I, and I believe you need a wide range of different skills in order to, to succeed. I'm gonna agree with what he says, see if you can tell if I'm agreeing, okay? If you're gonna do, if you're gonna do an AI project, if you're gonna use AI in your business, you're going to be taking activity data, interaction data, results of transactions, you're gonna be taking some sort of data, you're gonna model it as to what is the best outcomes, the less, uh, less desirable outcomes, and you're gonna change the behavior of the organization so that you do what's right, you do what's optimal. If you come at it this way, you can then assemble a team that's gonna be needed to get a project like that done. You need data, you're gonna to have to find people know where to get it, how to get it out of the systems and bring it to a central platform. If you wanna drive business results, you're gonna mess with the business. And so therefore, you're going to need to have a business owner who understands, understands how much you could change the business in terms of implementing this, and is willing to champion with you and with the surrounding uh, 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 management team that this is gonna be acceptable and is gonna have a good outcome. And then, as pointed out, in the middle, you need to have somebody to actually build the model, test the model, do the science, you know, build the factory and the plumbing to get it done. But it's critical to have those three points in place in order for you to be successful. And that middle one of having a business champion who understands you're going to change the process of doing the business is critical. Otherwise, this is a science project with no place to land. Yes, I think that uh, the, uh, it's been uh, changing and the, it's required for business model creation, which is a relatively new data scientist skill set. And then uh, in, uh, uh, out there, uh, it's still, uh, you know, the less number of people there. So in order to fill for that gap, I believe that, uh, you know, pre-trained AI model will be, uh, you know, jump start for your business to start because that uh, from just, uh, you know, uh, scratch uh, to new to build will take more time with uh, data scientists only. Okay, great. So, you know, AI technologies bring about a lot of changes to organizations. So can you talk about what process changes are being brought about these from these AI technologies and then how companies of all sizes are adapting to this? Yeah. Well, like uh, uh, you know, digital transformation from AI model, 
uh, creates more cross-functional. Uh, you know, I think it's relatively to, uh, you know, first question to read for this question. So the, uh, it is not water flow uh, decision making. It's more dynamic and agile is required because that, uh, you know, data is in a digital and everybody can contribute for that, uh, you know, any, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, any attribution of data. So uh, marketing or, for instance, like uh, forecasting, uh, used to be just for marketing or you know sales people to create a forecast based on the historical data. However, it's now the day. It's a, you know operation, operation side also uh, has a, their own like operational you know uh, production uh, planning data, right? So the uh, it's necessary to have a dynamically uh, changing for fulfill. The, you know, uh, keep changing the demand uh, nowadays. So in order to do that, uh, you know, uh, organization must be uh, changing for that uh, dynamically. And then the, uh, you know, um, order fulfillment uh, might be adjusted dynamically, but, uh, you know, work progress flow uh, will become like a more dynamic and agile. It is more important to have a unified platform to manage and monitor as a single platform uh, to keep change, uh, you know, tracking for that change. That's I thought. If you think about AI or using machine-driven machine-driven decision making in the business, you're going to change something that has been an established practice and may even be part of your promise to the customers. I'll give you a simple example. If you're in a customer contact center, when to escalate an interaction that might be going on the web and bring it into the contact center. Try to bring it in. Try to get them engaged with a live agent. Policy might say, keep everybody out there if at all possible. Keep them on the web. Let them serve themselves. Whereas the machine models might say, for people in this situation, we actually make more money and complete the sale more frequently if we would actually engage and be very selective of when we offer chat live to a real person. If you're going to do that, you'll probably get better results. The models say yes, but you're going to have to walk through the staffing team to say we want to staff at this level. You're going to have to change what people think is the right policy for when to do this, and you're going to have to be prepared a month and two months later to defend what you're doing with, quote, the business and show that it's giving better results. AI has the capability of substantially changing, improving your business, but you've almost got to walk through the organization and bring a lot of friends with you, a lot of consensus in order to make that actually happen. So Small projects, and I mean small in the sense of small impact, showing results, building a larger consensus, make somebody else the hero that they went on board with you. It becomes a political program as much as it is a financial or a data program. And if you keep that in the front of your mind, you'll go far with these types of projects. Yes, so I wanted to touch a slightly different angle here. So um, in my opinion, where the biggest changes are is where the automation happens. And uh, this is definitely where AI has changed things. So we used to be able automate, uh, to automate just the simple tasks. And now with um, the new developments, especially in deep learning, so things like computer vision, 
what we are able to do right now is very different and, 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 and way better than uh, what has been possible 10 years ago. So it really changes the kind of tasks that can be automated, the reasoning, the, the cognitive tasks can now be automated, and we need to understand it, um, how, how this changes all the, all the processes, but we need to embrace it somehow. Um, it, it's usually people are afraid that you know we are introducing AI in order to, um, all, to to completely get them off the job, but it's not really the case. Uh, using AI can be just to tackle the simple cases that are within a hard problem, and then this gives uh, the, the the opportunity for some kind of collaboration between a human and machine. People can now focus on more um, more demanding tasks, the ones that are actually hard, and the ones that are actually um, more beneficial for the company for them to focus on. So this is this is for me where the, where the biggest change is. Yeah, I agree. We found that there's a lot um, easier adoption when you call it augmented intelligence because that's where you augment and enhance human capabilities and not replace. A lot of people um, obviously don't like to hear that you're being replaced by a, by a robot or by a machine. So when you say, no, we're not replacing you, we're just augmenting your skills, we're augmenting your capabilities, there, that adoption is a lot easier. And actually, people embrace it a lot more, and I think that uh, a lot more can be done. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's actually like people prefer to do the interesting tasks right. and not demanding tasks. It, right, and I think that that's how you got to sell it so that you take the robot out of the human, right? And you don't have them do, you know, basic data entry that is very unfulfilling and you have them do more high-value-add tasks. So I know that, you know, we're talking about digital transformation and that it's a journey. So... Um, can you talk to us about some examples of digital transformation projects that depend upon AI to succeed? And then you can either talk about it from your own company's perspective, give an example, or um, you know other companies that have been doing things. Okay, so so once more, probably I I would like to focus on computer vision because this is uh, something where you know the new techniques uh, were really essential. Like. What we used to have with uh, with the classical algorithms that were used there were able to solve some problems with uh, something like 50% of accuracy or 60% of accuracy, and then um, this just wasn't enough. This this didn't cut it in terms of being able to introduce those solutions so widely that that they can be adopted. And right now, using uh, deep learning, we are able to produce computer vision systems that. That, that can um, basically compete with humans in terms of accuracy. And this really gives us the opportunity to create models that are right now usable, but wouldn't be usable without those new techniques. And, and I believe this is where, where the biggest change is. I've told this story so many times, I've got the numbers memorized. Imagine a um, debt collection arm of a business. So. They're going to send you text message. They're going to call you. They're going to send you email in order to try to collect on uh, a payment that's being due. Okay, one of our partners implemented a uh, machine learning based model here, and so the agents were on average collecting about three thousand dollars a day by using just next one in. Who do I talk to? Okay. What they did was they segregated the agents into different personality or uh, demographic skill groups. So um, 
people who were you know more authoritative and pushy and people that were more caring and understanding and and and, and, and we let the data speak on how to cluster it when we start when that company started to then take the next bill to be collected looked at the personality or the demographic of the person they were contacting and matched it with somebody in that group that was the best match, they increased their collection rate to 4,000 and some odd dollars per day. So anytime you walk into a shop and say, I can improve things by a third, wow, right? Then they went one step further and they said, instead of just matching to the group, we're gonna attempt to match person to person. So for somebody with this demographic, who is possibly the best person in that group to match it to? And they push their numbers north of 20K per day. So that tells you that just like you would walk in and if you looked at a group, I think you'd be best served by this person here, the machine can actually do that. But you need a tremendous amount of data, I'm sorry, you need a tremendous amount of past results, past interactions, that's the data, in order to train the model to the point where it can say, oh, I can predict with reasonable accuracy what a good person or a good pairing would be. But the results can be so powerful that it's worth all that effort. The trick is to have your management team have the patience to go through that activity. And you'll have the same thing in whatever business you're in. This is just a call center experience. Three to one. I'm sorry, one third up and then multiple times over as you begin to refine the program. Yes, uh, for instance, that uh, you know, our companies, uh, you know, end users' case uh, for that, uh, uh, you know, uh, in order to introduce, uh, you know, for that uh, AI capability, normally the, you know, like a, uh, you know, previous conversation, like afraid of uh, replacing the people uh, workforce, that kind of, uh, you know, rejection uh, will come along. However, that is not true. Uh, the, for instance, in a factory, uh, there is a already old factory, and then they needed to upgrade. And then to, uh, you know, in order to upgrade, it needed to have an invest, right? And then in order to do investment, uh, uh, so they decided to, uh, you know, night shift to check up that machine for like, uh, you know, because it's an automated machine, but the 24 by 7 uh, operation, and then to those workforce uh, reduced. However, you know, instead of reducing that workforce and then to use a camera to, uh, you know, AI to, uh, you know, identify for that any uh, unusual uh, suspect or something like that. However, for the future purpose, so the, uh, you know, people need to have a planning side because, uh, you know, um, instead of just for like a, uh, you know, robot, you know, to do that, you know, the people has a capability to uh, make a decision to based on that uh, reality and then to uh, which one to invest, to upgrade for their factory. Eventually can, uh, you know, uh, uh, increase the employee workforce because the company is going to getting better uh, ROI. So, so for the long run, so the, the smaller enhancement of, by AI will create more, uh, you know, generation, uh, generating the job opportunities. Okay, great. 
So one of the main challenges that companies are facing, at, you know, as we keep talking about, is that they're approaching digital transformation with a non-cognitive perspective. So what's one thing that you would tell these companies to focus on to help them move towards digital transformation? In the customer service business, um, digital transformation for most people means mobile application, transactions available on your mobile application and so forth. Um, and they have the legacy system of uh, telephone call, 800 number, call center, et cetera. So digital transformation often means bringing those together so that somebody that's on their mobile application um, can interact with it, but when they have an issue, basically pick up that experience and bring it to the customer service agent. Planning ahead so that you're not just saying, okay, yeah, I see you're on the web, uh, but tell me what you're trying to do here, because I have no idea what you were just up to out there, um, is not the way to do it, right? So you want to build the data pathways, the integration, so that when when you invoke customer service agents and you're transforming that experience you know, into a, a live experience, you don't forget anything. You bring everything across with context. You bring the whole app, perhaps, as sharing right into that person. And most importantly, and this is, I think, answering your question, you keep track of all that. You keep track of all the interaction. You take data like you've never taken data before. Um, and you record all of that because you're going to feed it into then the AI modeling systems to see if there's any correlations. Not just the ones you think of, but the ones that in retrospect, yeah, man, that probably makes sense, but I would never have thought of that. And allow the data to speak. I'll give you an example. How fast you push a touch tone when given the choice, please select from one of the following options. Actually tell something about you based upon time of day and based upon which selection you made. Who would have thought of that? But the data speaks. In certain cases, it gives a good indication of what you're up to and, and you know, how you should be treated. If you take that into the models and you then pick an agent out of it based upon that, you're going to get better results. That's just a simple example. Think of all the things you really want to do, like in mo a mobile app, where were they? How many times did you visit the app yesterday? What's the transaction you're trying to do? What's your history? What's your demographics? That all is data you want to collect. Gone are the days of just what time is it and how long did you interact with someone? Yeah, I, uh, I think I definitely agree. And uh, focusing on, on the data and focusing on actually, you know, doing something to have this foundation in order to be able to come with, with more sophisticated, sophisticated cases is definitely important. Um, the other thing that, that, that I, would, um, I would advise to do is to think big, but start small. So when thinking about various cases and various applications that might be possible, it's very important, especially if you are, um, you are suspecting that some part of your company or maybe some people in the management are not really convinced, would be to identify the low-hanging fruits and start with them. And then when the result speaks for themselves, it would be definitely easier to push the, push the agenda further. Yeah, I totally agree with you that, uh, you know, start with, uh, you know, small, uh, you know, not a big ROI. <laughs> so they, you know, that uh, be success. But uh, maybe on the other hand, the uh, most of the enterprise uh, is not so much familiar with AI capability and then to just start for automation, like uh, data entry automation. 
uh, so uh, for instance, uh, they're out there, like a uh, non-cognitive software there, and then to, you know, uh, uh, reduce the uh, uh, data entry person and then to uh, automate it for that data entry. So that will not create any, uh, you know, uh, significant ROI, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the lower KPI maybe. So um, in order to start uh, with a small start for AI model, because that, uh, you know, um, the Day-to-day -day and then the, uh, you know, uh, any uh, AI models or vendors getting the increasing and the uh, more smart AI models out there. So the, uh, you know, as an end user, you know, you should have, a, you know, choice, a freedom of choice of which, uh, you know, vendor to work with, right? So in order to do that, uh, to keep, keep in mind for that, uh, you know, uh, some vendor try to, you know, uh, hold your, you know, solution in a particular crowd or something like that. To avoid that, uh, you know, just for uh, look for that more neutral and then to be able to have open uh, platform to be able to, you know, uh, optimize your AI model, you know, the, from start to scale. Great. I have one more question for the panel and then we'll open it up for open questions. Uh, so I know that you guys brought up some really great examples of how AI and ML are helping organizations. In particular, call centers, I know that, you know, tweaking something just slightly gives incredible results with customer service as well, and, you know, the results are incredible. So what business benefit are companies realizing by deploying AI and ML strategies, and where's the business impact? If you can talk a little bit about that. Um, yes, so, so let, me let me start. So there are some different angles that, that you can take. Of course, uh, we could speak about increased revenue or increased sales from use cases like using machine learning to build better models for things like um, cross-selling, upselling, also trend prediction and being able to really keep those clients. On the other hand, uh, we have cases that help you reduce the costs so use cases like predictive maintenance, both of the, of the machines or, or some kind of hardware that you use um, in, in your company. Um, and then the automation is also a big thing. But you know, something that, that I would like to emphasize here is that focusing on those um, immediate uh, results is one thing, but the other is that if everyone starts using AI to provide better services, to, to, to have better revenue or lesser costs or, or whatever it is, then essentially using those techniques uh, is needed in order to stay competitive. So at some point it's not so much about the benefits, but it might be about staying in the business and staying competitive uh, in, in comparison to what your competitors does. Raise your hand. Anyone here part of a company innovation team or innovation and strategy team, uh, et cetera? Sometimes I do talks where that's the case. Yep, I see some hands coming up, okay? One of, so I get a chance to talk to some folks who are the equivalent of that, some of our most largest, biggest, baddest customers. And what I find over and over again they do is they make sure they have at least one project going where they're, they're drilling where the oil is. So one of our customers, um, literally, they used AI against their accounts receivables process. And the idea was to try to spend the most amount of time with those accounts where it would make a difference and they could increase the cash flow. 
And they did so by some 10, 12%. And for this company, that was millions and millions of dollars. So imagine the next year they go in and they're talking to the, oh, I'd like more funding for our innovation team. I'd like more funding for AI projects. Look what we did for you last year. We brought in an extra $30 million a year of accelerated cash flow. You know, all the years are up. So my point is the following. You've heard a lot about discussion here about all this sort of uh, how I can apply it and so forth. If you're in a team, whether you're in a contact center, whether you're part of a broader corporate, is to look for those places where if I was able to improve this, it, it's like drilling for, drill for oil where the well, you know, where the oil's in the ground and get some big wins or big possibilities under your belt so then you have credibility and you can move forward as you push the envelope throughout the company or just throughout the, you know, the customer service team as you go forward. Those are the people I see are having the best success. So running out of time, so <laughs> I'll have a very short comment for this subject. That um, I believe that uh, you know the, uh, we are talking about a small start, right? However, that uh, you know already happening that uh, failing for you know AI model in a real world, some customer. So why? Because uh, they lack of uh, like a technical aspect to you know uh, not understand for the capability for monitoring. The monitor is a very important for that AI model behavior. So, uh, so look for that uh, such a platform. And then they, I will help you if you need, okay? Thank you. Great, all right, thanks panel. So we're, at this point we'd like to open up questions to the floor. I got the mic here if you're interested. Well maybe I'll make a comment and then I'll hopefully uh, get some, oh we got a question right here. Well, the comment I was going to make is I really enjoy the Avaya case that you were talking about, the debt collection, because on the person-to-person -person, uh, interaction, um, there was that commercial from Discover. I think it was Discover Credit Card a long time ago. If you remember, they picked up the phone, and the person on the other end of the phone looked almost exactly like the person. There's another phone like, and they were had all, and I think that's, that was the uh, impact. That's what they were going for, is this person-to-person -person interaction, which is kind of neat. Thank you. Good morning. Um, uh, my name is Gerald Bernand from Indigo Strategy. Uh, I hear a lot of uh, descriptions of how big projects and uh, big companies have introduced data science successfully into their organization, even if it took uh, some time. How do you help companies with, say, 200 uh, employees or less, which have not the same means as very large organizations? They don't have access to the uh, doctor, um, people with doctorate degrees in data science and machine learning, et cetera. How do you enable those people to take the turn to uh, introduce AI in their organizations? I think I speak a little bit uh, for like a pre-trained AI model can help for jumpstart because at a small scale company may not necessary for that uh, deep data for that uh, such a data scientist. So just checking my time here because uh, uh, the AWS reInvent show is happening at this exact moment for those of you that are not aware. And Andy Jassy, who is the CEO of Amazon Web Services, just finished his keynote. And I check on this because we were aware of some information that was on non-disclosure. And one of the things that Amazon is, is releasing are all these pre-trained models, including Amazon's uh, uh, recommendation system, the predictive system. Uh, they, they just did a forecasting system. They have now a new OCR system. They have all this sort of stuff. And that's now available for you for pennies. And so they're... Just AWS. Yeah. 
yes, yes, we are doing. <laughs> and and that's a perfect lead into yeah. what you know. We're They're not doing it too. We're not going to answer everyone up here across, but that was going to be my perfect lead-in. If you got 200 employees, you are not going to buy and build a hand-wired system unless it's absolutely core to your business, because there's not enough there's not enough oil on the ground, you know, to get the payback. You're going to use pre-built systems, pre-built platforms, or you're going to be using a platform that has that as an option and run it from there. It looks like there's going to be a little bit of an arms race on these now. So everybody's starting to develop these models. So we have to figure out which model is the closest um, to it, which is good. Piggyback on that. Um, so any uh, so more questions? A great question. Uh, any other feedback? Well, let me let's, let me sort of ask a little bit about about uh, some of the risks and some of the challenges that you're seeing uh, for companies that are maybe introducing, especially things like chatbots, you know, which have been around for a while. Um, you know, maybe poor examples of it being done and hurting their customer interaction. Like, is there anything that you can see as like common problems that continue to keep coming? up, mistakes that companies continue to make that you can just like just, if I give you some advice right now, don't do make this one mistake that everybody seems to be making. Anybody want to chime in? Yeah, so, so, so maybe let me start with this one. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is actually having the right data. Um, I see it very often that companies will have some use cases in mind that are actually great use cases and, and they should definitely tackle them, but they don't have the right data. And, and the problem that uh, that they have is that they are not willing uh, to think about it beforehand and not willing to invest into collecting the data, something that actually you know, Val mentioned earlier. Like the data is usually the backbone of the, of the system that you would like to develop with machine learning. So this would be, uh, would be one of the challenges. And the other one that I, I wanted to mention is sometimes people focus too much on understanding what is happening inside the, the machine learning system or inside the AI. They would like everything to be interpretable. And um, I think that sometimes it's, it's a bit too much because if, if you really think about it, sometimes the decisions that are being made, um, even by humans, that they are not so easily explainable. And um, it's, um, I believe companies should focus more on the results that they can get from the models and not to meddle that much with the, with the inner details. My one piece of advice would be figure out what's going to happen if it goes wrong. Quick example. You come into a call center, it says, uh, please press one, two, or three. Reservations, baggage claim, or shipping animals from here to Australia. Okay, imagine how many people op, you know, choose option three, right? Almost nobody. So we put in a natural language system. Please say what you want to do. It only fails one out of a thousand times, but we get a million calls a day. So what happens? Those poor people in charge of shipping animals to Australia are now getting literally thousands of misrouted calls a day, right? So the point is, when you look at a system, focus on what's gonna go right Think about what happens when it goes wrong. Put up some, some protection. Did you really want to ship an animal to Australia? You know, a, a follow-on question to protect those poor people down there. Um, and, 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 and allow yourself to not only celebrate the success, but, but you know, frame and stop the failure. That would be my advice. My advice is very short for the technical standpoint of view. So the, uh, don't go to a uh, you know, particular platform or a particular cloud vendor. And then to uh, have a more neutral, open platform. That's my advice. Okay, cool. We have time for, for a few, for few more questions here, so opening it up. Anybody else want to dig a little bit deeper here? I got a couple in my back pocket. Yes, got some more, Kathleen? Uh, sure. Uh -huh. um, so we, oh, okay. 
Okay, that's right. You guys are more important, so here you go. Yeah. We talk a lot about companies within the company, problems, challenges, the politicals. What if you are a key driver in a supply chain? Supply chain. Just wrote yes, an article um, about that. I became. <laughs> I used to work for IT technology. Yeah. So, uh, so the um, yeah supply chain. It's a uh, it's a very uh, big challenge for AI. And then the actually that uh, it's a more dynamically and uh, you know changing because that uh, you know ERP based from the supply chain is not gonna work for AI. So I have to be the more strong uh, planner and also the uh, decision maker because uh, the, to make a decision and then to keep attribution change will make another better uh, AI model based supply chain. So meaning like uh, so UI is a key, uh, user interface, and then to have a decision maker's UI, to have a summarized UI, and then the attribution changing uh, monitor dashboard, so should have that more detail. So those kind of feature to have such a software to uh, recommend. Yes. So I work at a system integrator that is getting into the next step of once we have the data, now we want to do something more interesting with it. And generally, when you're working at the starting stage of conversion over to AI, you want to start small and think big, as you said. What would you say is the best pathway in a general sense for starting small and, th and then moving big? And take whatever technology context you want. You could use the call center, for example. I think one of the things that I've seen um, companies do that have helped them to be successful is think big on what you're trying to uh, impact. Cost of operation, um, revenue, and how the revenue would be driven. And then choose the project so that it shows there's possibilities in changing the big, the big item, the big number, if you would. I mean, it seems so simple to say. But I've seen companies say, well, I'd like to improve the revenue per employee, but I can't touch that right now. So I'm going to do something else that really has nothing to do with getting us to that. And so, you know, breaking off a group, showing A versus B type uh, projects, let me deal with the group that's selling this smaller area where you've got a champion before I touch the main reservation line or the main line of the business is where I've seen people move, but always with the idea, I'm going to show you how I can impact, you know, the big target because that looks like this and this is a project you're going to stomach or be willing to risk on. Don't get sidetracked from the end goal. Working off the muffins. Yes. I got a quick question on, on the uh, productivity enhancement in the call center data utilizing the personalities of the people involved. Was there any observation or correction made for potential differences in the economy? I assume that these were sequential changes where first you did it one way, then you did it, as you, I think, said geographically or by personality. And then after that, you did it person by person. And yet, if we go back over, let's say, the past 10 years, clearly 2008 was kind of a disaster. And then as time passes, you know, I don't know where we are today, but as time passed, at least for a while, things got better. So the question is, when, when you're looking at your improved uh, accounts receivable or collection 
efforts, was there any benchmarking against general economic conditions in order to be able to separate out the effects from what you did versus what the economy did behind you? Short answer, short answer is no, because the results were so outstanding. You know, what, we don't want to confuse the discussion, right? But, but good point. What I, what I thought you were going to say is, um, let me say it slightly differently. You're absolutely right. All boats rise when the ocean comes up, okay? So that's to be said. At the same time, also, don't, don't forget that there might be seasonal changes, so I'm changing the subject slightly. So what works in the wintertime in North America does not work in the summertime. And part of it's because kids are in school, and in the summertime, kids are generally out of school. So if you're calling and trying to do debt collection on a single mother at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you're running into peak time. Homework? I mean, now... You're running into peak time, and it's not successful. I don't know why we could make up a whole bunch of reasons, because they're trying to prepare supper, because they're running you know, from this or that organization, you know, blah, blah, blah. The point is the data says it doesn't work then. Come 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, much better times, much better successful. The, and so you end up having to build models and then anticipate that you may have to change them for seasons. Some seasons it's not going to work. The month of December is different from every other month, et cetera. It's how deep you want to go. All right, but you do have to keep revisiting it and not just say that you're static. Okay, got a couple questions. I'll go this way, then that way. So one and two. Yeah, I think we have time for. We'll say two more questions. Okay, so regarding collecting the data and using that, how far back uh, do you recommend that we go? Is it uh, a certain period of time, like uh, a few years to a few months? Because obviously, organizations do make improvements from time to time. And the data does reflect those improvements. So if you look at three-year-old data, it's not reflective of current day situation anymore. Okay, so, so there's definitely no silver bullet solution here. You have to think about the certain events that you need to predict or that constitute of, say, separate, constitute separate classes in your data. So you need to be sure that you look so far in the past that you can actually have a meaningful number of those, those examples. If something happens like 20 times uh, in a year, then you should definitely look like 10 or even more years in, uh, into the past because otherwise you won't have enough data. If, um, if something happens like hundreds or hundreds of thousands of times in a month, then maybe a month of data is enough, but then there, is, uh, there might be another problem, and, and the one that, is, that was already mentioned, that maybe the models that you need to build, they need to change in time. So one thing is actually like monitoring how much data in the past is needed in order to have enough, um, enough data to train a machine learning model. But another is that how, um, how long in the past you can actually uh, look for in order to have meaningful data. Because maybe if it's, if it's an old data, the things, has, uh, the things uh, did already change and you need to build a new model. But this is also something that you can, you can monitor. Yeah, I think that uh, the data m maybe uh, will be changed uh, because that the, uh, you know the uh, chips also technology is getting better and better, and then the performance issue was uh, data volume also. Not only just uh, you know cleaning data or you know good data, but also you know more data will create much better AI model as well. So meaning like uh, so you have to think about for that uh, both side that not only just for that what 
how many data you need, or but also you know more data to create much better AI model prediction also. Yeah, I can. Uh, can you talk a little bit about um, the pre-trained model and how that would work? Would I then supplement it with my own data, and would that data then have to um, fit into a certain format that works with that pre-trained model? So the pre-trained model uh, is not required for that uh, particular data set. It's uh, depending on that uh, you know uh, what uh, pre-trained model you want to use. So. Um, you, you don't need to worry about uh, you know existing data maybe not enough because uh, you know customize also available because uh, most of a customer wants to be uh, you know better than competitor right so that's why so pre-trained AI model is not enough but uh, you know can start with pre-trained model and then to become scalable for more data to collect so in order to collect the data maybe uh, will be required a little bit, uh, you know, knowledge of that, uh, you know, attribution of data. But we can support what kind of data maybe you guys need. Depends on what type of project you're running. So projects that are trying to optimize the business, whose data is going to be useful to you? You know, th those don't do well there. On the other hand, um, characterizing people, characterizing a personality mix, um, trying to do speech recognition or uh, you know pattern of conversation, people are people, and so you know other people's data can help a great deal in jumpstarting. Same thing like with supply chain, other things, you know, accounts receivable. You know, if you can get it, people are people, businesses are businesses, and so it really depends. Going back to the earlier question, how far back should I go? The answer is, in part, go back. you're going to want to go back as far as you can because you're going to want more data to put into the system until it starts muddying it up and giving you inconsistent results. And then you realize you went too far and you got to back it up some. Yeah, so, so I couldn't agree more. And uh, to build on this, um, in majority of the customer analytics cases, it doesn't make much sense to use pre-trained models. But uh, the biggest area in which it makes a lot of sense is computer vision. So uh, you have cases in which maybe you don't have enough data to train you know, a huge deep neural net consisting of millions of neurons because maybe you have like, say, a couple of hundred of examples. But still, you could use another data <coughs> consisting of millions of images that are not, not exactly the same kind of images, but still somewhat similar. And there are huge data sets that, like ImageNet, that are widely used for those cases. And then build something, pre-train it on those huge data sets. And then only use this, um, this model to adapt to the small data set that you have and that is uh, sensible for, for the use case. I have to chime in because there's a great use case here. So if you have an e-commerce site, for example, and you want to get away from humans uh, tagging images because every time you upload like a new, per let's say you sell purses online, every time you have a new purse, you have to like, oh, got to upload the image, you have to tag it, you have to describe it, blah, blah, blah. Machine learning is actually really good at automatic 
tagging. You could be like, oh, this is a purse. This is so how so what you could do is you can get a pre-trained model that already recognize you can you can get these anywhere. It's like a you've got some, Google's got some, they all they all have these things and it'll automatically identify, oh, this is a, a hat, this is a purse, this is a coat. So that's like 80% of it, but it doesn't have that specific brand. All you do is you sort of add your additional images that have been trained, you train on those things, all of a sudden now it can recognize, oh, this is a coach purse, this is a specific brand of Louis Vuitton, blah, blah, blah. And then now whenever you a person wants to add a new image to their catalog, they just take a photo of it and all the tagging is automatically uploaded, uh, uploaded and changed and descriptions up and you just save like whatever, two hours per, uh, per product to do it. And we've seen everybody's doing that now. That's how Amazon does it, by the way. Uh, they don't have humans in there tagging the five bajillion products that they have. They just upload images, and the system is automatically doing all that stuff, which is pretty remarkable. So that's when you use it. But for this other stuff, probably not so much. Okay, back to Kathleen. All right, well, I'd like to thank our panelists today, Val, Robert, and Ayumi. You were great, very insightful. So thank you so much, every, everybody, for participating. There you go. Thanks a lot, folks. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2017 by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.